You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Good morning, River. I'm so glad to be with you this morning and uh, pray that you are doing well. Before I uh, share uh, the message this week as we continue our series on standing firm, uh, just, you know, it was hitting me as I was driving in again uh, today, just seeing GE parking lot completely empty, uh, just... Uh, the challenges that we uh, have in front of us just continue. I think we're in our eighth week. Uh, I think this is the seventh week that we've actually recorded, and we're a couple months into this. And uh, I, I wanted to put in front of you, you probably saw that our governor gave some um, uh, plans, initial plans of how he would reopen and uh, the state. And just wanted you to kind of know for us as a church, I, we're not anticipating being together in the month of May. We, we know that's a reality. Uh, I'm hoping that we can get together in June, but you know, time will tell whether or not even that's a reality. So I say that not to discourage us, I say that to actually just to help us to deal with reality and uh, to help you to kind of um, to pace yourself uh, spiritually, emotionally as you walk these days ahead and to, to say, you know, it's okay. You need to really continue to pay attention, not just to your um, general health and how you're making your way in this world, but you know, you're gonna have some days that are real challenges that are just really, whether it's being antsy or, or fear begins to creep in or just frustration or whatever, and, and everybody's dealing with different things layer upon layers and COVID-19 is only one of those. But I just wanna encourage us this morning is uh, that as the weeks ahead that God is still in control, He still loves us, nothing has changed. And it's obvious to me that He's really trying to deepen our love and our walk with Him through the, the, the just the fluid and flexible times of just so many things are like a moving target that he's really trying to draw us close to him and he's really reaching and trying to speak to a world that's gonna feel even more and more pain. So I just wanna share that for what it's worth to help us as we start uh, our service this morning or at least open God's word, I should say. So uh, with that, you can go ahead and grab your Bible if you would. If you don't have your co coffee yet, do that. But we're gonna look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter two. And uh, we're gonna see that the church there in, in, in the city of Thessalonica were they had a fear that they were missing out on our Lord's return. I remember back as a teenager in high school, uh, I, I never liked Monday morning when I got to school and found out that I, I missed a gathering of my friends, that they had gotten together and had fun without me. Uh, honestly, I hated that. I don't think I ever said anything about that, but it was always awesome when I, when I knew about it and was invited and, and heard what was going on and was there, and, uh, and I couldn't stand it since then. I'm sure today for those of you who are teens that are listening, you know, that's, uh, you, you know about things instantaneously. You're carrying your cell phone with you and all of that, but uh, days were a little bit different, obviously, uh, when I was in high school. And today, it, it's, it's no different. We talk about FOMO. Uh, uh, Fear of missing out, you know, F-O-M-O. -O. And the church in Thessalonica was the exact same thing. They were afraid that they had missed the Lord's return and that they had missed out. And so Paul is writing to them a letter trying to help them to realize that, no, you're a bit confused. And some of the stuff going on is that uh, you, you just uh, let me encourage you, he's saying, and let me kind of straighten that out. So this morning, we're going to talk about three realities of our Lord's return. But I'm really going to focus underneath those realities, just some lessons along the way. There's a bunch of them in here, more than I can share. But we're going to frame it around what God frames it around and just three realities that God wants to know about our Lord's return. So take your Bible and read 
read with me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul says this, he says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God, not just the one true God, but every form of religion and so-called God. He opposes, he exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. I want you to notice three realities about our Lord's return. Three realities. The first reality is, is it's confusing. It's confusing when we try to understand exactly what's going to happen in the time frame and how that's all going to play out. Paul says, I, I, don't, I don't want you guys to be fearful. I don't want you. You are, you have been shaken and alarmed in your mind. You see, he says, I don't want you to be alarmed whether by a spirit. He doesn't mean by some uh, angelic being or demonic being. What he means is, is those individuals among you who are claiming by the Holy Spirit to in a spirit of prophecy to speak some of these words of truth, claiming to be spokesmen of God, or even some who are claiming to have uh, received a letter from me teaching you differently than this, or somebody else who has a spoken word that they're just speaking out these words that are different from what I've told you. I don't want you to be shaken by any of those things whatsoever. It's confusing to, as we try to understand these things. If the church then was confused about exactly what would happen, how much more would, would we be confused? Let me give you an instance or an example. In verse 4, I just read a minute ago. The, that the Bible says that this man of lawlessness, we'll talk about him in just a minute, that he will take his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. There are, are men that, uh, that I respect tremendously, that love God, that know the Lord Jesus, that are, that are born again, have a relationship with him, that understands this temple to be completely different. Some understand this temple to be completely a metaphor, that it is a picture that this this person will arise in the future, this man of lawlessness that will uh, center them himself in the, the uh, focal point of religious spiritual worship in the globe over, but that not necessarily in a specific uh, literal temple. In fact, one of the men that, that, that holds to this, this view, by the way, this view also goes with a, uh, that there would not be a literal thousand year reign of Christ, but that Christ is reigning right now, metaphorically in the world around us. Uh, this writer that, that, that holds to that view says, it's obvious that the word temple here is metaphorical. And I have to admit, I agree with him on most things that he writes, but I read that and I thought, that's not obvious to me. In fact, everything in that passage is obviously literal. So I have to ask myself the question, say, well, if everything in this passage is literal, why would I take that word temple metaphorically? For me, and this is my, my understanding of, of scripture and of this, I, it seems the easiest to me to take that word temple is very literal. 
that there will be a man of lawlessness that will come and will set himself up in the, in the, the temple of God as the center of worship and as the God of the universe, uh, full of all of that exaltation and power. But at the end of the day, whether I'm right and I could be wrong, what is important for us to realize is, is this is confusing. And what Paul wants us to do in the middle of just how this plays out is to make sure, to make sure that we're not shaken in any of that. Because the truth of the matter is, is that God is in control and however it plays out, Jesus is Lord and everything is going to be okay because God is the one that is ordering the state of affairs. You see, he just tells us, be careful with fake news. Be careful with those that claim to be speaking for God. And they really aren't. Be careful with those that are claiming to speak truth when they really aren't. And he's saying, hey, I am setting this record straight for you today. So reality number one is it can be confusing to understand the end times. And the lesson for us is, is that we need to be careful that we don't believe or hold to fake news about anything with our Lord's return or about anything spiritually. But we need to test and examine and look at what those things say and how they compare to God's word. Second reality that Paul is trying to kind of set the record straight about our Lord's return is that they're going to, it will not happen without three key events. He says, look guys, I want you to realize here's the evidence. Here's why we know that our Lord Jesus hadn't returned. You see, they were afraid that they had missed it. Paul had written them in the first letter telling them that it's going to be a glorious day when the Lord returns and we're going to gather together and be with him forever. And, and, and upon as and a part of that, there's going to be some tremendous trials and different things that are going to happen on this earth. And the church was experiencing tremendous persecution and affliction. And we've talked about that the last couple of weeks. And so some are beginning to say, yeah, it's evidence we missed it. This is the stuff that Paul was talking about and, and we must have blinked or something happened or God didn't love us or he messed up or something. And they were deeply worried and afraid and about all of that. And so Paul said, look, that is not the reality because there's three tangible, obvious things that are going to be very clear that we will know when Jesus has come and when he has returned and when he is enacting those end times kind of events. And he tells them to us, two of them right here in verse three. He says, that day will not come unless first the rebellion comes. The rebellion comes and then second, the man of lawlessness is revealed. And then later on, I didn't read this initially, but later on in verse six, the Bible tells us that this man of lawlessness, this son of destruction, we will talk more in a minute about, that he is being restrained, that he's being held back, kept at bay on a leash, if you will. And it says that, that not only he who now restrains, I believe that's the Holy Spirit. There's some debate about that even as well. But he will do, it, do so until he is out of the way. So the three things that Paul says is, look, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a falling away. There's going to be a, an apostasy in the, in the church, that there will be hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people that will have claimed to adhere to biblical truth at some level, but who turn their back and walk away. And there will be a revealing, a revelation of this wicked man who will set himself up as the center of worship. And then there will be a third thing, the, the, the one who is restraining that individual 
will be, will be removed. I want you to notice a couple of lessons as we think about this. Paul was obviously trying to com comfort them and help them to know just what these details are going to be. And if it was important for them to know 2,000 years ago, it's important for us to know today. There are always in time conspiracy theorists and people trying to put all this together. And Paul says, look, you know, our Lord told us we won't know the day or the hour. We'll know the seasons. And that's a little bit of what he's telling us now that here's some seasonal changes that we're going to see. So Paul's trying to comfort them in the middle of this. But the lessons that I want you to notice in this is first is that there is this rebellion that's going to happen that, that the, the English Standard Version says here. It's a falling away that Jesus talked about in Matthew. You see, there will be a generation, not just in the U.S., but globally. We have a tendency inappropriately to view that the church in the U.S. has a tendency to view the world as if we're the center of the universe and that what's normal here is normal there. And, and, and this is a global falling away, much bigger than anything that we've seen. We in the U.S. are in the middle of a, one of the greatest falling aways at the moments of apostasy. More, more and more walking away and generation upon generation beginning to, to not follow God and to not know Jesus Christ whatsoever. But we're talking about something even bigger than what we've experienced. The Bible tells us that there will be a generational turning of the back on all things of God. That's not to say that people will lose their salvation or that people who are genuine followers of Christ will one day wake up and just walk away from it. What will happen is this, is that there will be a generation whose kids will tend to not follow Christ and their kids will follow Christ even less. And there will be this growing coldness that will sweep across the globe. So the lesson here for us is this, is to make sure that for every generation, that we are turning around and reaching the next generation. You see, I really believe that each generation is primed and poised to reach itself, but it's the generation just before. It's the mom and dad, or if it's the, the, the aunts and uncles of that generation to turn around, to show the way and to, to model the gospel and to lead those kids and those teenagers and those young adults to Christ. And it's their turn their job to turn around and reach their friends and their, their, their family and those individuals and to then in turn repeat. And what the Bible warns us about as followers of Christ is that more and more as the world begins to march on, as the world begins to increasingly turn its back on truth and on the ways of God, that there's going to come a cataclysmic turning away. And nobody wants their kids to be in that generation that turns their back on God. Nobody wants to be that one that failed to pass the baton forward on their faith. So real lesson here for us to learn is not only do we need to be careful about fake news within times, but we need to make sure that today that we are teaching well, living before our, our kids and our friends and our individual generations that we're all in, the faith reaching them with the gospel so that there is a strong continuance of that gospel because eventually the time is going to come when this becomes a reality. A third big lesson that we see here in these events is not only is there a rebellion that comes first, but this man of lawlessness is revealed. He's a, a genuine personal man, a human being 
who will rise up. He's called the son of destruction. The old King James used to say the son of perdition. That word is used of, of, um, of Judas Iscariot when he hung himself. He is going to be a, a, a personal being. He is going to be a, a popular being. He will gather people from all over the globe who will believe the, the, the arrogance that he will represent and will begin to follow him. He will, he will go viral. He will blow up social media and whatever social media is running of that day. And he will be on the news and the world will begin to, to follow this individual. He will have such a, a global standing. Notice that he will be a, a very perverse individual. The Bible describes him as a man of lawlessness, that which is without law. Anarchy. He will be an individual who will adhere to no law, no human law, and especially no laws of God. In fact, he will rejoice and be excited to live above all that. So he will be a perverse, a perverse person living in a perverse generation that, that twists not just truth, but morals and lifestyle and, and complete lawlessness in the middle of, of all of that. And here's the, the lesson for us. As that individual's work, there will be a time when this individual will rise globally. But it's a reminder that you and I should love laws. We should, we should appreciate those laws that keep things in check. You, you know, we sometimes in the church, we, we know that we are saved by grace and we talk about not adhering to the law. But following grace doesn't mean that we're lawless. It actually means that we are forgiven by God's salvation and his love for us. But God turns around and works that in our heart so that we live lawfully. Not so that we can be saved, but because we are saved. See, we should be grateful for the, the laws that are in our land. The enemy that's at work around us, and I will talk more about how that works in a minute with this man of lawlessness, but he can't stand laws. And I'm grateful to live in a, a world where there are those. I'm grateful to live in a country, albeit flawed and deeply flawed, that we have laws that govern us, where there is a right and a wrong and a, a morality that, that we are to, to follow and adhere to. And so we should continue as God's children to, to hold to that. If you at all pay attention to the culture, the culture, every generation tries to flaunt and go farther and farther and push and push and throw even more and get even more, whether it's risque or more just crazy. That's all evidence of what our Lord tells us, that those days are going to happen more and more and will give rise to this man of lawlessness. Till then, I'm grateful and we should not be trying to create and see how many laws can be taken down and how much room could be made for all the insanity around us. But instead, we should, should follow and respect and adhere to those things. We'll notice that this, this man of lawlessness is, is also a man that will have much deception. Um, I'm actually going to talk about that one last. So, so the third thing that, that happens, the third event, that we know when Jesus returns, there's going to be a falling away. There's this man of lawlessness is going to be revealed. God in heaven is going to reveal him. And then third, the one who is restraining him is going to move out of the picture. That's the third piece. 
I believe that's the Holy Spirit. There's some debate. It may be the Holy Spirit in the church. There's some that have said it's governments and some way back when thought it was the Roman government. That's obviously, we've long since passed that. I regardless of what a person believes, it's obviously that God is the one restraining. God is the one that holds that back. We've referred to Job a lot in this series, it's been very appropriate. God was the one keeping the enemy at bay away from Job. And it was only upon God's decision that he allowed the enemy to have certain impact in Job's life. And ultimately, God was glorified in it. Job's faith was strengthened. Even though it was really painful, it worked out in Job's favor and his blessing in the middle of that. In much the same way that the God is still restraining all kinds of evil that could happen to us. I believe it's the Holy Spirit ultimately is the one who restrains all that the enemy wants to do in our midst. It very well could be the church and our prayers that the Holy Spirit answering and working in our prayers in our midst that God removes on that, on that day and, and allows free reign for this man of lawlessness to do his thing. So the, the third lesson in here, or the third or fourth lesson for us is that, that we should find comfort that no matter how difficult the affliction, no matter how much evil in the world around us, no matter how awful it is, whatever we're walking through, no matter if we have to keep walking through COVID-19 months ahead and dealing with all the layers of other things underneath that, just as life marches on in spite in the middle of it, whether it's our job or health or having to go to the hospital for other things and, and all of those issues, that God has his restraining hand that even though things are bad, they're not as bad as they could be. You see, that we should have a hope that God is still at work with straining and holding that back. And so we should find a comfort. We should find a, a blessing and a joy in the middle of that, that despite all that the enemy wants to do, that God says, you can go so far and no farther, that God has drawn limits to what can be done in your life, both in body and soul and, and heart and mind and all of that, and that God loves us and he draws those kinds of limits. Well, I want you to notice this is the, the third and last reality. Hopefully I'm not confusing you with these realities and lessons because frankly, it's so easy to fall into talking about the end time stuff and we just talk about all the different things and we go home like, oh, that's cool and it's a nice academic debate. But all of those things should have an impact in our life today or they're useless. And so that's why we're talking about those realities, but we're boiling out some lessons, some things that should hit home with us that we should chew on, that we should take solace in and, and be encouraged by or convicted by. But the third reality that I want us to recognize, the first one is there's gonna be a falling away. We should make sure we're passing that baton on. Or, or actually the first one is that there's going to be a, uh, uh, a it's a confusing thing to talk about it, and we should make sure we're avoiding fake news. The second thing is there's going to be these three realities. There's a falling away. There's a man of lawlessness that shows up. The God is remove his restraining hand, and there's several lessons there we talked about. The third reality is this, is that when the man of lawlessness comes in the end times, it will be a time of tremendous deception, time of great deception. Uh, supernatural deception. Read with me just to get the flow of this. The Bible says this in verse 7, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. 
And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Our Lord Jesus is so powerful that when he returns, just showing up will bring to naught all of the schemes, all of the plans, all of the affairs, all of the evil, all of the self-exaltation of this, this prideful one, and he will bring it to nothing just by showing up. And the Bible says in verse 9 that the coming of the lawlessness one, the lawless one, is by the activity of Satan. He isn't Satan, but he's here empowered by Satan's power with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. The Bible tells us that this, this proud, arrogant one, he's a, he's a, he's a person, he, he's powerful and he's full of pride. He, he will exalt himself not only against God, but every form of religion, every various self-made God out there and will gather all, if were possible, to worship and follow him. And he will have such power that he is imbued. He is a, em, empowered by Satan himself. He will act as a puppet invisibly, that he will have such deception that he will be able to do signs and wonders, miracles, to back up what he says. And people will believe those things. You see, there's always a risk of kind of the pragmatic. Well, if it works, just take it. There's some things in life that can be like that. I can take that mentality when I'm trying to fix my home. If I don't know how I got it working, but it works, hands off. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But there's other areas of life where that's dangerous. And the Bible tells us this man will come and he will bring the proof in the pudding. He will do miracles and signs that people will say, he's got to be real. Look at this. Scientific tests will be put to it and will be proven to be true because he will be empowered supernaturally by the enemy of God. You see, the, the real lesson here is, is we need to be careful to be truth seekers. In fact, we need to be careful today because I don't know if you noticed it, but the Bible tells us that this lawlessness is already at work. The mystery in verse 7 of lawlessness is already at work today. You see, there is coming a time where that individual will rise to such global power and he will deceive many. And I'll unpack that a little bit more in a minute, how people are deceived. But for us, one of the lessons that we need to pay attention to is that lawlessness is at work now. This isn't just something that's going to happen later and we can go about our wonderful life today. All of that lawlessness, all of that deception, all of that fake news, all of that evil, all of that pride, all of those that exalt themselves against God is already stirring in the pot, as it were, around us. And we've got a responsibility to be people who see through that as God's children to be lovers of truth. You see, the Bible tells us that those individuals that will be fooled by him, it'll be those who are perishing, those who are on the brink of death and eternity, forever separated from a holy God in heaven. 
They're going to be fooled by these deceptions. And it's not that the deceptions are going to be so incredible and powerful. They will be. But it's the very fact that they refuse to believe and to seek truth. You see, it's their own fault. It's their own responsibility. They refuse to love the truth in verse 10 and so be saved. Their refusal to seek after that which is true and real and right is what is going to cause them, lead them down that path of being vulnerable and gullible and believing the lies, the deceptions, and the temptations. That's, that is why they will be completely deceived. You and I have a responsibility to be truth seekers. You see, there's a lot of people today that seek tradition. Well, I'm going to just follow the tradition of my parents and my grandparents. That sounds good and might feel good, but that's not enough. Some, some want to seek their feelings. Well, I'm going to do what f feels good and just... Uh, that might sound good, but that's not enough. See, we're to be truth seekers, to seek the truth of the gospel, the truth that really what Paul is talking about here is the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That's the truth that leads us to salvation. That's the truth that we talked about in chapter one. It is that, that God sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross for us, to pay our sin debt, our penalty of sin, and rose again so that if we commit our life to him and surrender to him and obey him in the gospel, that we're forgiven. And those individuals who take that step of faith, they'll not be deceived because they're busy seeking the truth. And the last th lesson that we need to, to learn as we think about when Jesus comes back is that, that we should love that which is good today. You see, when Paul finished up this section in chapter two, he says that he talks about those who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See, those two go together. If you don't believe the truth of the gospel, you're going to end up loving that which is sinful and wicked and evil and wrong and, and shameful. But when you do believe the gospel, it ends up being the opposite. God puts a new inclination in our heart and an inclination to want to serve him and to know him and to please him. And to be, we become lovers of that which is good and which is righteous, and which is honorable, which is not shameful, but instead honorable. And that which is, is right. And so Paul tells us that, or it's a reminder, I guess, is that we should today learn the lesson that as God's people, we're lovers of that which is right and good. The gospel always produces that fruit of righteousness inside of us. So you see, as we think about the future with our Lord's return, our, our relationship with him and our future is secure. We find hope that he will not allow us today to go through any more affliction or persecution. Even though the evil one and the enemy is at work through acts of lawlessness around us, and that's even going to increase more and more, the Bible tells us, Jesus himself told us that, that he restrains that. And that we know that when he returns, that we're okay because the evidence of the gospel is clear in our life. We hold to the truth of that gospel that our Lord Jesus died and rose again. And those truths sink into our soul. And that rather than going through a life of increasingly spiraling into degradation and to sin, instead it's the opposite, is that God puts that inclination in our heart through the Holy Spirit 
more and more pleasing and following him. And, and more and more do we, do we love that righteousness. So River, as we think about what God wants us to, to learn as we take a peek at, at our Lord Jesus' return, it's something we should be excited for with such anticipation that we talked about a number of weeks ago. But it's something that we should recognize that, that today, that there's still going to be confusion about all those details, how they play out. Be careful to not believe fake news spiritually. We live in, we live in a world today where anybody can get a YouTube camera and can put themselves out there as a teacher or a prophet. And you can order online, ordination papers from anywhere and be called pastor or whatever you want to be. But we're to be not paying attention to fake news. We should be people of this book following that truth. We should be people who pass that baton of faith on to the next generation and the next generation being careful about all of those things. We should be people that, that, that love the law, that, that follow those laws. We should be people ultimately to take comfort that God is, is not allowing it to go any of that wickedness, any of those afflictions in our life, that he's in control and he will draw those lines clearly. We should be people who love truth and seek the truth. And we should be people who challenge others to be truth seekers. And we should be people who love that which is right and that which is good. River, I struggle at times to live with all of those realities at the highest level. Part of that is being a sinful human being in this world. But you know what I've learned? That if we go to God and deal honestly and truth at him and say, God, I'm struggling right now in my life spiritually. God, I'm, I'm challenged. I can't go to church. And for me, that was just so helpful and it's just weird. And I, But God, would you help me right now spiritually? And God, would you help me to be a lover of truth and a truth seeker? God, would you help me to be that one who holds the truth out to others? God, would you help me to love righteousness? You see, in the middle of all of these challenges, people will turn to those things that to sustain them and help them. I, I read recently that, that alcohol, his sales have tripled. People going back to that which they depend upon and, and, and chemical dependency. And the Bible tells us that we should hold to righteousness. If you're struggling with some of those pet sins now a little more, those, those sins that you've allowed to hold a place in your life, it just may be in the middle of this crisis that God is trying to teach you to be more and more a lover of righteousness. So go before him. Admit that to him. He's a gracious God that will forgive you. He'll chastise you because he loves you, but he'll restore you. And he will help you overcome that. Because what he's doing is he's preparing you for our Lord returns. So River, I don't know how this is hitting you, but I want to encourage you to think about these things. Talk about them this week in your life group. Pray through those things. But that's the kind of people that God wants us to be. That's the kind of people he wants us to live in the middle of adversity, in the middle of affliction. So I pray God's blessings on you this week. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.